In the book of Revelation, God draws back a veil and discloses certain things about the future in a series of panoramic visions beheld by the beloved apostle John. In the book of Revelation, moral forces of light and darkness and good and evil are seen in opposition to each other. In these visions, God, Christ, Satan, men, angels, beasts, creatures, and demons are the characters. The scene will shift from time to eternity and then back again to the abyss, to the lake of fire, to the glorious kingdom of our Lord and Savior. We have here the song of the victor, but we also hear the wail of the vanquished. We see the eternal glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the opening verses of this book, if we ignore this book, we will dishonor God, we will rob ourselves of blessing, and even risk a curse. The same power which sanctioned the crucifixion of Jesus, the Roman Empire, has now branded the Apostle John a criminal. He is in exile on a prison island off the coast of Asia because of his devotion to the Lord Jesus and to the Word of God. John, the Apostle, suffered from a malady that afflicted all of the Apostles. He had not ever learned to trim the truth to meet the whims of people. In John's world, many gods were acceptable. In the Roman pantheon, there was room for all deities except one. And that was the God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ. For only the Christians would not bow the knee and acknowledge the supreme authority of the emperor of Rome when they were commanded to say Caesar is Lord. They could not and they would not. So they were considered subversive and often they suffered. John is now on the prison isle of Patmos alone separated by those 50 miles of ocean from the churches that he loved so much. Revelation chapter 1 is more than anything else a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. It contains other elements as we can see. But the dominant image in this chapter is the living one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me, if you would, to the text of Revelation. The message will simply develop from the text as God has given it to us. I encourage you to make notes. I encourage you to keep your Bible open, for the message will not make any sense to you if you do not connect it with the words of Scripture. In verses 1 through 3, which we have already read, here is the promise of the revelation, the promise of this book. The word from which 
we give the book its title. Apocalypto means literally to draw back a veil. The Lord Jesus Christ draws back a veil and lets us see things that we could never see and never begin to understand if he did not reveal them. We will find in the book of Revelation that there are many messengers, but there is only one voice. It is the voice of God. The messengers simply deliver and reflect his word. We see in these verses also a method by which this book was inspired. Now, I would not want to write a book premised on this verse to say that this is exactly the method of divine inspiration of Scripture, but it is unique in the Bible that he gives us a description of the way that this book was given to us. Notice in the text. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. All truth begins with God. All revealed truth in God's Word originates with God. God gave it to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he, the Lord Jesus, sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do well to take the book of Revelation seriously for many reasons, but these reasons are good enough. God gave the revelation to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ sent the revelation by his angel to his prophet to deliver to his people. That is the method by which we receive this book. In John 15, 15, in that beautiful chapter about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says to his disciples, All things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Often, the Lord Jesus Christ stated the fact that all of his authority, that everything he revealed was given to him by the Father. John is the writer of the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ is its true author, as seen by its distinctive style. And we are also promised a blessing to those who read the book, to those who hear the words of the book, to those who heed the message of the book. The Lord Jesus Christ is the giver of the book. Christ is also the object of the book, and he is the subject of the book. And we are told in the promise of the book of Revelation to read and study this book in order that our lives may be enriched and our walk made more effective by the Lord. Here is the promise of the revelation. 
But notice in verses 4 through 8, here is the person of the revelation. John begins in Revelation 1 verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The person of the revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins the salutation, grace and peace. They are the source of our lives. They are the source of all blessing and all happiness. He is writing to the churches that are in Asia, specifically Asia Minor, on the western edge of Asia. And he selects to write to seven churches. Why seven? Well, it is partly a matter of speculation, but it is a fact that often in Scripture, seven is a number of totality, a number of completeness. Certainly there were other churches, many other churches in this region. But under divine inspiration, the book of Revelation chooses seven to refer to. Now a preview of what I believe is coming in the book of Revelation. After chapter 3, until the second coming of the Lord Jesus as recorded in chapter 19, the church is not seen. The church is prominent all through the first three chapters. It is not so much as mentioned beginning in chapter 4 until we see the church coming in victory with the Lord Jesus at his second coming. The church, I believe, is taken out of the world. I believe that what we call the rapture, that doctrine stated and elucidated by the Apostle Paul, occur, occurs in Revelation between chapters 3 and 4. We see in the person of the Revelation the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll not go to them in great detail, but he is faithful and he is God's witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. Those are the stages that are revealed uh, through his life to us. When he came, he was God's faithful witness. When he was raised to secure our eternal destiny, he was the firstborn of the dead. And when he comes again to reign forever, he will come as the ruler of all peoples and all nations. Twice in these verses, we have the, the phrase, even so, amen. Even so is 
the Greek for the Hebrew word amen. It is like a doubling as though he were saying amen, 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 amen. A double affirmation of the certainty of the things that God has revealed to us. We see his program. We see his power. We see his person. The Lord Jesus Christ is the person of the revelation. And then notice in verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 1. Here is the place of the revelation. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Patmos was indeed a bleak place. It was a barren, uncivilized, sparsely inhabited island about 50 miles off the coast of Asia. It was used as a prison island, a place where people were kept who, so they could have no access to the mainland of Asia. In these verses, these seven churches are named. I believe that these churches were not selected at random. I believe they were chosen for several reasons. But they were not idly selected, nor was the order in which they are addressed, which is consistent through these first three chapters, accidental. I believe that in the letters to the seven churches, we have a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in any age. In any age through the history of the church can be found the characteristics, the strengths, the weaknesses, the temptations, the failures, the successes that we read of in the letters to the seven churches. So I believe that we need to pay careful attention to them because we individually and as a congregation are subject to those same things. But I believe that beyond that, we see in the letters to the seven churches a panorama of the history of the church from the beginning to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These letters show what can happen in any age. I believe they show what has happened in the history of the church and what will happen before the Lord comes again. And then look in Revelation 1, 12 through 18. Here is the power of the revelation. John says, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reflecting or reaching to his feet, 
and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. And it goes on to a description of the Lord Jesus that we will come back to. And when I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Simply stated, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is also the power of the revelation. Recall his words to the church prior to his ascension. All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. All power. What kind of power is left out? What are the limits of all power? If we believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we believe that the resurrected Christ knew what he was talking about, we must believe that all power belongs to him. He is the power of the revelation. John is overwhelmed, overpowered by this glorious vision. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. It is significant to point out that when we see him gloriously arrayed in his majesty in this first chapter of Revelation, we do not see him as we will later in the book of Revelation in the native region of his glory, reigning in uncreated glory and splendor with the Father. We do not see him there. We see him in all of his glory and all of his power manifested among his people, among the churches. He is the power in his glory among the churches, holding them in his right hand, directing their work. Notice in the text this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is filled with symbols. There is much room for disagreement as to what many of them mean. But let us observe some of the things that may be indicated by this very detailed description of the glorified Christ that John gives us. Starting in verse 13. In the middle of the lap stands one like a son of man, or perhaps the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. Gold is pure. Gold is valuable. Gold is incorruptible. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. Perhaps this signifies wisdom and purity. Certainly he was both of those things. His white hair could be a sign of his 
uh, age, not his chronological age, but his eternal age and the wisdom that is his as a reflection of the fact that he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. His eyes were like a flame of fire. It becomes very apparent in the letters to the seven churches that the Lord Jesus saw everything about them and saw it very clearly. They were naked before his gaze. They were transparent before his eyes. And his eyes not only have the power to penetrate and to see, but they have the beauty of holiness, the flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. Bronze is a symbol of strength. It was a hard and strong metal that had been caused to glow in a furnace, perhaps a reflection of the trials of the Lord Jesus Christ during his days on the earth. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Whatever else that may mean, I believe that it is a symbol of his overwhelming authority. Have you ever heard the sound of many waters? If you have, have you ever heard a sound that could overwhelm the sound of many waters? It is difficult enough to hear anything when the shower is running, much less the sound of many waters. Being in the sea near the cliffs around this island, it is a staggering thing to realize the simple force and power of the waters as they crash against the wall and all other sound is eradicated. I recall 20 uh, some odd years ago standing beneath Niagara Falls and the sound of many waters eradicated and echoed through that tunnel in a way as to overwhelm all other sounds. What does it mean? Whatever else it means is that when he speaks, everything else is silent. It is the picture of overwhelming authority. And in his right hand, verse 16, he held the seven stars. The right hand is the symbol of authority. It is the symbol of power. The right hand was seen in the ancient world as the symbol of strength. It was the symbol of correctness. We are told to go in the right way, and it was normally and is for most people the strong hand, the one more useful. And in that hand, that strong right hand, he holds his people. In John, we are told, as this same author describes what the Lord Jesus has done for us, that he holds us all in his hand and no man is able to pluck us away from him. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Mark this, note it, remember it. It can make as much difference in your life as anything you will ever learn. 
The voice of the scripture is the voice of God. Now, it may be somewhat deflating to our 20th century ego to realize that the final word on anything has already been spoken. Be that as it may, it has been. Often we are encouraged to remember that God still speaks today. And if we listen, we will hear His voice. That is absolutely true, but it is not true in the way that that statement is often meant. God has spoken. He is not bound by time. He is not bound by space. His word is not bound by culture. It is as relevant today as it was then. And when he speaks today, the Holy Spirit speaks with the voice of Scripture. The Lord Jesus in the night of his betrayal said to his disciples, I will send you another comforter and he will bring to mind all of the things that I have said. We are told over and over again and sometimes very close to home as Baptists that God is speaking today and telling us new things. If he is, it was a surprise to Jesus Christ who said the function of the Holy Spirit is to call to mind the words of Christ. He speaks. And when he opens his mouth, it is filled with that clear scriptural symbol of his word, the sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. A fitting conclusion to the description of the Lord Jesus Christ. For often when God is described in the Bible, we are told that we cannot behold him and look straight at him or we would be destroyed. And here in this description, he weds the person in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and Almighty God. They are one and the same. It is recorded for us by this same apostle John that Jesus said to his disciples, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. There are a number of sevens in the book of Revelation beyond the seven churches. There are the seven messengers or the seven angels of the churches. There are seven trumpets. There are seven personages later, seven vials of wrath, seven uh, throughout the book, seven demons, seven new things. And then notice finally, in verses 19 and 20, here is the plan of the book of Revelation. If you would know... What Revelation is about, simply let the Lord tell you. In Revelation 1, verses 19 and 20, His command to the Apostle John, 
Write, therefore, the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. Now that is a very specific instruction. If you apply that instruction to the book of Revelation, it fits perfectly. Write the things which you have seen. That is the description of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. Write the things which are. The things which were current, contemporary, when he wrote. That is the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And write the things which shall take place after these things. The things which were future to John's day. And those things are described in chapters 4 through 22. This verse is the only place in the Bible that Scripture gives us an outline of a portion of Scripture. And it is this division of the book of Revelation given by the Lord Jesus in his instructions to John which we will focus on. When we see him in his right hand, he has the seven stars of the seven churches. Or he explains to us in verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The word angel, the word angelos, means very often simply a human messenger. In fact, the word means messenger. And it is used of human messengers as well as of divine messengers. They are described as stars. Now, when we see the moon above us and the bright objects in the sky, their light is a reflected light. I believe this is what John was indicating, that they could only show the reflected light of the sun. They have no light of their own. Indeed, the seven messengers, the seven angels do not. And this is symbolic of the fact that every Christian is to shine in his or her own place in our own sphere of responsibility. The responsibility of a star is to shine. The darker the night around us, the greater the need to shine and to reflect the glory of God. We shall see in the book of Revelation satanic opposition to God and to His church. It is seen in the letters to the seven churches. It is seen in the panorama of prophecy that is there. The opposition of the enemy to everything that God does. It is still there in our day today. In the letters to the seven churches which we begin tonight, 
we shall see their strengths, their weaknesses, their temptations. And they are ours also. The temptation to pride, the temptation to follow our own ways and yield to our own desires, and the temptations to make out of lesser things idols of our own that we may worship them in the place of worshiping God. The book of Revelation is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Take him out of the book and it is nonsense. It is a reflection of the fact that he is the creator, he is the savior, he is the sovereign. By him and for him and to him, as Paul says, are all things. The living one, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lord of the church today. Over these next few services, we will examine the letters to the seven churches. We will see that in each and every case, the Lord Jesus Christ is walking among the lampstands, that he sees everything, that he understands that he points the way that we can be more nearly what he wants us to be. I urge you, read the book of Revelation. Read it at a sitting. Get the sweep of it. And then week by week, read the passages so that you will be better equipped to hear the voice of God as he speaks to us. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not left us. That you have not left us alone. That you have not left us without direction and without guidance. I thank you for your word, which Peter describes as a light that shines in the darkness until the day star arises in our hearts. Glorious, majestic Lord Jesus, grant us a glimpse of that glory so that we, like John, may fall at your feet in total submission. Show us our sin. Show us our purpose. Grant us the courage to obey you and to follow where you lead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing a hymn of invitation in a moment. And during that invitation, I invite you to publicly express your commitment to Jesus Christ. It is a fact that whenever Jesus called people in the New Testament, he called them in such a way that that commitment would be demonstrated before the world. There are no secret disciples. 
To that end, I invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is Lord. He is Master. He will be your Savior and your Lord if you confess your need of Him, repent of your sins, and by faith take Him as your Savior. I invite you to do that. I invite you to invest your life in this congregation. If you live here, God wants you to be a part of a local church in this place. If that church is this church and God would move you to respond, I encourage you to place your life as well as your membership in this church family. It could be that as you see the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory, you see a little better reflection of yourself and you see there are things you need to confess and forsake. Confess them to Christ, forsake them, and if that commitment involves a public commitment, I invite you to come forward. This altar will be open to those of you who would simply like to kneel and pray. But what God would have you do, in order that you will have worship, I invite you to respond, for there is no worship without response. What he would have you do, do it right now. Do it quickly as we stand. And while we sing hymn 361, wherever he leads, I'll go. Right now and quickly as we sing. Thank you for your attendance, for your kind attention this morning, for an atmosphere of warmth and worship that I feel when we gather together to worship Him. 
At this time, our men will take their places. We receive God's tithes and our offerings. And I ask uh, those of you who visit with us to return to us that information that will help us know you. May we pray. Heavenly Father, our lives are the gift of your grace. It is your gift that we are allowed to be a part of glorifying the Lord Jesus in our world and through eternity. Because it all is yours, we gladly return to you a part of what you give to us so freely. Bless and multiply all that we give to the glory of the Lord Jesus, to the salvation of souls around the world. I pray in his name. Amen.